0: Welcome back to our latest episode of On the Job with Porak podcast. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak, with Porak vice president Damon Kurtz sitting alongside me. For the second episode of our fifth season, we've decided to bring on Paul Mitchell and Evan McLaughlin of the redistricting partners here in Sacramento uh, via Zoom. Before uh, we start with them... PORAC hired their firm and they've been monitoring the redistricting process for us and have been uh, reporting to the board of directors and the executive committee as we watched this interesting process happen every 10 years. It's been really interesting. This question is more for Paul, but you know, on Twitter, I see you on Twitter and and we get a lot of folks on there complaining about the redistricting, but it really does seem like California has probably got one of the best processes in the state. What are your thoughts on that uh, compared to other uh, states in the union?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's different ways to measure what is the best process and i i think it's fair for people to debate on twitter you know uh, somebody like me might be saying hey from a redistricting perspective the commission process is the best process because it allows for the redistricting to be done based on communities of interest and what the data says and what the law is rather than having districts that are distorted by politics or you know, legislative horse trading, you vote for this bill, I'll give you this district or keeping incumbents in their seats and all these other things that happen when the legislature draws their own lines. Now, it's legitimate, I think, for people to say, well, I really wish the legislature would draw the lines because, uh, you know, nationally, Republicans are able to uh, get all these Republican seats in these other states. So we think Democrats should be able to draw the line so that maybe there's two Republican members of Congress in the whole state. And that's a legitimate claim that they wish politics were more part of the process. And I'm kind of on the side of saying that I think that districts should be drawn in a way that's more fair and open. I think some of the illegitimate comments that come out are people saying, well, you know, it was done behind closed doors or there was secret gerrymandering or there were secret things happening in back rooms. None of that stuff's true. I think that on the face of it, the California process was An ideal process for people that want open, transparent redistricting that's based just on what the data shows and protecting communities of interest and following the Voting Rights Act. But if that's not your style of redistricting or what kind of redistricting you want, then legitimately, it's it's not the political redistricting that they have in other states.
2: Well, I think some of the complaints come, you know, particularly from folks that are maybe in the Republican Party and they they see. <clears throat> that maybe these aren't falling the way they want it to fall or think it should fall or would help them but the re- the reality is in the state we're just predominantly democrat the voter base that's that's a, and that shows in the legislature and where we are as a state and i don't know how you fix that and i don't think there's a way to fix that through redistricting either it's just it's literally it is just the reality of what california is
1: yeah california is much more democratic now than it was even 10 20 30 years ago and the redistricting process done by the commission doesn't try to draw more Democratic districts. One way, just thinking of a part of the state that a lot of your members might understand, the Orange County, in the middle of Orange County is this really heavily Latino community around Santa Ana. And if Democrats wanted to come into Orange County and draw maps, they could draw maps where every seat would be a Democratic seat just by splitting up that city of Santa Ana and spreading it out amongst a bunch of districts. This commission didn't do that. And this commission created Republican seats in Orange County where the Democratic controlled legislature might not. Democrats will still be super majorities in the legislature in both houses and have a super majority of the congressional delegation. And Evan can talk a lot more about all those specifics and kind of the the things we're seeing in the final maps. So I can understand Republicans being concerned that it seems like they're headed for another decade where the maps are drawn in a way where Republicans aren't going to be able to make big gains. But really, the only way to create a map that would make big gains for, for Republicans would be gerrymander to try to maximize Republican seats somehow. And even then, Matt Rexroad, who's, I think, the one of the best redistricting experts on the Republican side nationally, and he's a California consultant, he even says... That he couldn't draw a map that would bring back Republicans, you know, to kind of parity in the legislature and eliminate those big Democratic majorities. Uh, even if he had full control over drawing the maps.
0: And I think the uh, the big issue in that arena is, is just a competition of ideas. You got to bring ideas that the constituency wants to vote for, whether you're Democrat or Republican. And if you have good ideas and you can get them over the finish line, then you'll be able to win elections, or at least that's my belief. And I would hope that would be the case. But I understand that may not necessarily be the way it works out all the time. So I guess this is for either uh, you or Evan. So obviously a lot of the, it was really interesting to, to watch, uh, the process, uh, some of the map development, maybe Evan, you could talk a little bit about how that map development, uh, initially started, you know, we had some issues in between there and then now we've got the final maps. So what are your thoughts on those?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's a really good segue from the last point, which is, you know, just how, how far either to the left or the right could this commission actually, uh, end up uh, drawing these districts, and the truth is that not a lot changed when it came to the partisan breakdown of these maps. The Senate seat, the Senate map, got maybe a, a smidge more conservative. You know, went from 36 seats that uh, Biden uh, won uh, in the current map to 35, but the same number of seats that uh, that Gavin Newsom won in 2018, same number of seats where Prop 20 outperformed the state average. These are actually a little more progressive than what commission did for the Senate in the draft maps that came out in November. And remember there's a whole process. There's been months and months of testimony, uh, even before the census came out uh, that then led to a bunch of visualizations and a lot of kind of hand hand wringing about how this commission wanted the maps to look before they had to um, produce drafts in November. Then December was all spent revising those based on, you know, nobody really was as involved in the process until they actually had a draft to look at. Right. And saw all these communities come out and uh, and start talking about, you know, we don't want to be with this one or we should be together, you know, this city and that city. So that's a Senate map on the assembly side. You know, we went from 63 seats that knew someone to 64. And I think it's a good thing for us all to remember. If all the legislative candidates performed just as well as the Democrats, There'd be sixty four Democrats in the Assembly, right? And we're right now talking about sixty or sixty one. And obviously, with all the resignations, that's a small, smaller number right now. But uh, you know, the legislature tends to have fewer Democratic electeds in the Senate and the Assembly than what you know you would see at top of the ticket race, like uh, the presidential and the governor's.
0: Races produce. So, with the current maps, and 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 this could be to Paul too, since uh, from ten years ago till today, it seemed like there was a lot of current elected officials were drawn into the same districts. Is, is it just because it's been ten years and my memory's faded, or does it is that the reality?
1: So. When we look at the 2011 process, they were starting from a gerrymandered map that the legislature had drawn. It wasn't gerrymandered to be the most democratic map. It was actually gerrymandered to get votes on the budget. So certain Republicans were given districts that they really wanted and protected in the redistricting process in in 2001. And so that old map the legislature drew was being redone by the 2011 commission. It had many more radical changes in it than the transition from 2011 map to now. And also there was a big difference in terms of where we were at in the term limit structure back in 2011 when that map was passed. Remember when that map was passed, we had that old version of term limits, three three terms in the assembly, two terms in the Senate. Um, we had constant turnover happening. And in fact, about 30 members of the legislature were being termed out in 2012. So the 2011 map had different kinds of wiggle room as members were terming out and all this kind of commotion that was happening. In this redistricting cycle, we've had some retirements that were unforeseen, but we had zero terming out assembly members. Um, the real term out cascade begins in 2024, 2026 or 2022, 24 and 26. I'm sorry, 24, 26 and 28. So in 22 you're going to have all these retirements and the effects of redistricting. 24 you're going to have around 25 members of the assembly terming out and about 10 or a dozen or so senators terming out. And you're going to have the entire legislature be absolutely replaced by 2028. So that change in where we're at in the term limit cycle uh, now and the fact that the map was being redrawn from a commission-drawn plan rather than being redrawn from a legislative gerrymander means that we don't have as much actual change happening in this plan as we did uh, and we saw last time.
0: So out of all of the districts that have been Redrawn. What do you think is the best district, and what do you think is the the? uh, And I say I don't want to say worst, but the I'd say the the weirdest district. Were there any surprises in the districts?
3: I think what you saw is really, um, you know, one one of the the two probably biggest drivers of why districts changed the most in this map were kind of twofold. One is the Voting Rights Act and how the Central Valley was reconfigured because. Section five had been thrown out, right? And so you have a situation where, um, you know, just take the Senate map, for example. There used to be this district that Ana Caballero represents now that goes from Monterey all the way to Modesto. And that was a function of the old Section Five. With that out the door, then they had to treat basically the Central Valley the way they treat the rest of the state when it comes to Latino representation, where there's areas where they make up a majority of the citizen, the eligible citizens who can vote. So What you saw is, okay, they decided not to do this Monterey to Modesto thing anymore. And that actually created a whole musical chairs that we're all kind of grappling with right now. She was drawn into an odd number district. Remember the Senate, they also have this thing that has to deal with whether the votes are deferred in an additional two years from their four-year term or they're accelerated. So Monterey County is now like a whole district, and it's going to be on a different timeline. So if... You know, Ana Caballero didn't have a seat to run in uh, when she's up for reelection in 2022. She decided to go with the rest of her district over the hills into the Central Valley. Well, that's where uh, Senator Melissa Hurtado uh, lives right now, too. Right. She's from Sanger. So they drew this district that uh, the new 14th district uh, that includes the Merced parts of the Caballero district, the current Caballero district, and then Fresno County, which is where Hurtado's from. And it's created the situation where both of them are going to run against each other. Both members of the Democratic caucus, both of them have won competitive races for the caucus before and. Now they've they're in sort of an intramural squabble, right? And they've, they've got a they're gonna be in a drawn-in and running against each other in the June primaries against each other. Um, but that's an example of how this process was really driven by the Voting Rights Act and the changes there. The other piece is the really slow growth or even the loss of population in parts of Los Angeles County. And so you see these areas like in the assembly map, right? There's just not enough assembly members. Uh, or assembly districts for all the incumbents, and so you started. Once you get out of sort of the Voting Rights Act areas that are really locked in, but had some of the lowest uh, growth rates, you got into downtown, and there was a part in the draft maps where you saw, you know, Miguel Santiago and Wendy Correa were drawn in the same district, and then you know the draft, uh, the commission revised that, and then all of a sudden, whoops, there's you know up in the San Fernando Valley, there's five members of the assembly, five incumbents, but only four seats. Um, and that's what's produced, uh, you know, the the other kind of big member on member race that's going to come down um, in this primary, which is Adrian Nazarian and Laura Friedman um, in sort of a Southern San Fernando Valley district uh, race. And so those are kind of the bigger changes of why, you know, people have complaints about what this commission did, and maybe we have our own, but really it it is a function of the population growth and the Voting Rights Act. That's why you see the new lines
0: the way you do I know and I, th- I think at one time there was one of the district I think it was going to be like 500 miles long along the uh, nevada border I mean I don't understand how they could conceptually believe that that would be that would represent those communities and that representative
1: well that's a weird thing in redistricting and we saw a lot of pushback on Twitter to some of these really large districts and sometimes I would pipe in and I would say oh that's ugly you know there was one that they were jokingly calling the River been of shame which went all the way from basically just outside of san francisco all the way down to slow and all along the coast and that district i didn't like not necessarily because it was large but because it had this one arm that went into the richest city in america atherton and basically ensured that that coastal kind of rural-ish district that went all the way down the that down to slow would be really dominated by you know some high income high turnout you know, uh households. And that's the thing I think that's interesting about this large district debate. There was another one on the eastern side of the state that I think is the one you're referencing that was all the way like from the Oregon border, all the way down the eastern side through like you know, in Yomano counties down into San Bernardino. And it was this massive district, hundreds of miles, like impossible to actually get across it, like in a day. And in the winter, you couldn't get across it maybe at all without like driving through the Central Valley or, I don't know, flying to Oregon and driving driving back down. The challenge though, is that you basically, the commission has two choices. Do we take these rural communities and we put them in a smaller district geographic footprint? where maybe half of their voters are from more urban populations, which really means that a more urban representative will probably get elected there. Or do we take this district and make it massive and pack together all these different, more rural, small county, small city populations, where even if they are far apart from each other, at least they are sharing kind of the same issues or having the same concerns. When you're I lived in Independence for a while which is in Inyo County and we weren't close to anything. You know, we would travel hours to go play a basketball game in, you know, Ridgecrest or up in Mammoth and you know nothing was close. And would that community be be better represented by a district that hopped over Mount Whitney and went into the Central Valley and grabbed one side of Fresno? I mean, a Fresno representative probably doesn't really care much about Independence, California. And that's the challenge that I think that the commission had is are they going to With these with those rural parts of the state, how do they draw those districts in a way that will allow those districts to have a rural representative versus how do they draw districts in a way that aren't just going to be mocked on Twitter for being like, you know, a bajillion miles long?
2: Yeah, it's a legitimate issue. I mean, when you look at it from a more local level, looking at, say, a county race or a county issue, a county ballot measure. And you have a lot of rural communities, but the voting base is typically in the metropolitan areas of those counties. So like, so Fresno County, for example, you brought that up. The majority of the voter base is going to be right there in that center of the county in Fresno, Clovis, you know, and the, the suburbs there. And, but there's a lot of other communities in there, mountain communities, farming communities that really don't have that voice because the majority of the voter base is going to be there. And so having that representation can be difficult.
0: Does your association need a new and improved website? The web experts at 911 Media can build you a user-friendly website that keeps your members informed and engaged with website packages starting at $1,195 a year. 911 Media has been PORAC's strategic communications partner since 2010. To find out more, contact them today by visiting 911media.com or call them at 877-DIAL-911. That's 877-342 Five nine one one.
1: Yeah. I mean, the again, back to living in independence, the number one political issue that I understood, even as a as a high school student in independence, was that everybody hated the DWP. But you could end up drawing a district where Inyo county was could be represented by an employee of DWP, depending on how you drew it and where that political base was. And um, so how you draw those rural districts is really an interesting challenge, not just for this commission, and, but for future commissions. And it's a big challenge in redistricting. Is when people live in areas that have sparse population, do you figure out ways to allow them to elect a representative that will have their values? Or do you kind of shove them into a district where they've got this urban center where maybe that urban center has where the newspapers are and where the endorsers are and where the political party structures are and where the money is and where people have the time to run for office? It's a it's a challenge to try to figure those kind of things out.
0: I'll go ahead and close it up with the last two questions. So is there a drop dead date when these maps are like officially finalized because anybody who wants to file a lawsuit can file a lawsuit and then the second part is are there any current lawsuits happening right now or outstanding to to stop this um, there are no current lawsuits. Uh, we've heard rumors that there were
1: going to be lawsuits. There were threats of lawsuits. Most of that stuff goes straight to the commission and their legal counsel. And they might've been discussing that in closed session, not on the, on the zooms, but some of the lawsuits that were thrown out there were kind of ridiculous. Nothing really substantive. Evan is kind of an expert on all the deadlines and when the filing deadline is and, and all that, but they, these maps I think they're going to be staying effective and be used for this election cycle.
3: Yeah, we would have heard by now this is this is going to be moving pretty fast and the registrars are Working now to get there. Um, remember, they have to go and redo all their election systems um, based on these new maps and be in time for the you know March when the filing deadline is for these candidates uh, for for state office and for Congress.
0: What's the uh, what's the address? Is it, it's We Draw the Lines? Is it .dot org or .dot com? I believe it's We Draw the lines.org. But if you go to the wrong one, it just
1: takes you to a. Uh another website that gives you the link so yeah we dry org is the website
0: so if you want to uh, check out the uh, the new districts throughout the state of California um, that's the place to go I want to thank both Evan and Paul for the uh, great work uh, and work product that you provided poor actor in this process it was uh, very informational and and I know uh, I know the emails were coming fast and furious from Evan there the last last few weeks probably inundated my board of directors and my executive committee with uh, all those emails but it truly was a fascinating experience to, to sort of live through this process uh, based on what you were putting out and through the portal that you provided us. Uh, so again, I want to thank you for the fantastic work on that. And uh, I don't think I'll be here in 10 years, but uh, hopefully the board will uh, re, uh, rehire you again for the next one.
1: Well, we'd love to do it. It was great working with you guys. We really do appreciate you being with us this whole time and and working with us throughout this cycle. It was, it was fun to be able to keep you informed with the process and your membership really did kind of dig into it, which was great to see.
0: Well, thank you for all joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak with Paul Mitchell and Evan McLaughlin of the Redistricting Partners. If you haven't already, like and subscribe to this podcast and share us on social media. If you have any topic ideas, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram with your suggestions. As always, we'd like to close this podcast by thanking all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. We hope you stay safe and have a great day. PORAC is California's largest law enforcement organization and the largest statewide association in the nation, representing over 77,000 public safety members since 1953. Our monthly podcasts, as well as past episodes, are available on PORAC.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, PORAC's YouTube channel, or where popular podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and tag us with your suggestions for future show topics. To learn more about our organization, visit us at Porak.org. We are Porak.